Before you can create a healthy relationship with others, you first have to create a healthy relationship with yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Janie is a nationally respected psychotherapist, and on this show, she and her featured guests will help you discover and break patterns in your life that can contribute to self-sabotage and unhealthy relationships. Now, here is Dr. Janie Lacey. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. On today's episode, I want to talk to you about one of my favorite topics. I've been a licensed psychotherapist since 2007, and over the years, I have worked with my fair share of couples. And when couples are coming to therapy, they're usually coming because something has long not been dealt with. And most of the time, there's this goal to move towards healthy intimacy. Yes, today we're going to talk about healthy intimacy when it comes to partnerships and couples. Let me share with you about intimacy. Many times we hear the word intimacy and our mind goes in many different directions. But to express, first let's start by talking about what is intimacy. Because to express true intimacy, it can be quite scary for couples because you're required to be vulnerable and courageous with the risk of being rejected for your efforts. Intimacy requires you to be honest and open about what you're thinking and feeling. Intimacy is truly being yourself, communicating openly, being curious and learning about each other, acknowledging you and your partner as separate, autonomous individuals, respecting each other's differences of perception, building resilience to sometimes feeling misunderstood, hurt, and rejected, sometimes getting it wrong and disappointing your partner being willing to take responsibility for your thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Did you think I was going to say all that about what is intimacy? What can block intimacy? So when couples come in, there's usually something that's blocking intimacy, and they want it removed. may not necessarily be their words and their requests, but it's very clear to me. And one of the things I'll share with you is there are three common blocks that I'll see when it comes to intimacy that are usually learned in childhood. If you have your pen and paper ready, these three are the following. First, there's a lack of trust. We fear intimacy because we think we'll be taken for granted or it will be turned and used against us. You might not trust yourself to get intimacy right. Think about it. Number two, control. We've learned that the only way to get our needs met is to be in control and manipulate others emotionally or physically. Did you learn how to get your way with daddy by batting your eyes? Or did you learn how to get your way with your mom by 
promising that you're going to help clean the house or do the chores or do the things that she's asking you to do? Number three, low self-esteem. Not having a strong sense of who you are and what you believe hinders your ability to tolerate that someone else can have a different reality than you. Think about this for a minute. The level of intimacy that you experienced growing up will, listen to me closely, it will have a direct impact on how you are able to experience life now. How to receive intimacy, how to show intimacy. If you identify with any of those three common problem problems that I just listed and shared with you, the lack of trust, control, low self-esteem, then I suggest, and yes, I may be biased, that you talk to a therapist about this as they can really help you identify ways to communicate or ways that you already communicate that you may not see and how you see the world and what defenses you have put up to help you feel safe in this world. Some of these defenses are useful and others can stop us from building true intimacy in our marriages, in our coupleship, in our partnership. Well, I know you're like, okay, Janie, I know, I know, I know, Dr. Janie, we got lack of trust, control, low self-esteem. I can see all of those things. Well, what do I do? How do, what do I do? How do, where do I move from here? Well, let me share with you. There are some techniques for deepening intimacy. But building intimacy can only be achieved by action. So here are a few things I want to share with you about what you can do today or soon, hopefully soon rather than later. (laughs) But here are a few techniques to deepening intimacy between the two of you. First, I want to share with you about intimacy requests. On alternate days, you and your partner, each partner, can make an intimacy request. The the request should be non-sexual and achievable. Listen to me again. The intimacy request should be non-sexual and achievable. For example, you can ask your partner, hey, I really would like for you to join me on a dog walk today. Come on, bring me a cup of tea in the morning or make the children's packed lunch. Right, three different requests. But they are achievable. You ask your partner to take, go with you on a dog walk. Yes or no. Bring you a cup of tea in the morning. Yes or no. Make your children's packed lunch for them to go to school. And you normally would do it. Yes or no. And then what about this one? Your love needs. What I want you to do is take out a piece of paper. Or if you're not in a position or a place to write things down, you can come back to this later. But I want you to rank the love needs from highest to lowest. And I want you to share them with your partner. So I'm going to go through some love needs. And I want you to rank them from highest to lowest. And the most vulnerable part is share them with your partner. So as I share the love need, I want you just to rank them. 
from highest to lowest. First one is affection. This is where you're enjoying non-sexual physical touch, both receiving and giving. What about affirmation? Being complimented and positively praised verbally or with gifts for who you are and what you do. Three, appreciation. Receiving thanks, whether through words or gifts, and being noticed for the contributions you make to the relationship and to home and family. Four, attention. Spending time together with the full attention of the other whether that's sharing how your day has been or your inner thoughts and feelings. Five is comfort. Being able to talk about difficult things and both giving and receiving physical tenderness and words of comfort. Encouragement. Hearing positive words of encouragement when you've been struggling with something or being offered a helping hand. Seven, security, receiving any words, gifts, or actions that demonstrate commitment to the relationship. Hope you're ranking these. Eight, support, hearing words of support or getting practical help. Another thing I want you to consider. So those are the ones I'd want you to rank. Affection affirmation, appreciation, attention, comfort, encouragement, security, and support. Another thing I want you to consider is what I can call five a day. Improving your physical intimacy by getting into a daily habit of touching one another. Sounds simple, but it's amazing how many couples don't touch each other They like operate like roommates or just business partners of the household. This increases the couple's biochemical bonding. When we touch someone, there's a chemical called oxytocin, which is released. And oxytocin, you may have heard the big O word, but oxytocin inspires us to touch more and increase the bonding to our closest relationships. When couples literally touch each other, Their chemical bond weakens, and they're more likely to drift apart. The goal for the couple to touch is at least five times a day, five a day. But the touch needs to be non-sexual. It can be a kiss when you wake up. It can be holding hands while you're watching TV. It can be a hug while, while washing up the shower together or in the bathroom together. It just be simple things. Another exercise I want to give you. I want to give you a lot of practical things. Caring behaviors, right? There's three questions for you to answer and for you to share with your partner. But the answers need to be non-sexual. And I want you to be honest and kind to help each other. I want you to identify what actions show that that you care. 
the things you do now that touch my care button and help me feel loved are. These are the things you're going to write down and you're going to share them. You can't just keep them in your head. You got to share them. The things you do now that touch my care button and help me feel loved. Number two, the things you used to do that touched my care button and helped me feel loved. Third thing I want you to write down, the things I've always wanted you to do that would touch my care button are. So let me recap those three things. The things you do now that touch my care button and help me feel loved and the things you used to do that touched that touched my care button and helped me feel loved and the things I've always wanted you to do that would touch my care button are. Next thing I want to share with you as you are learning to increase your healthy intimacy in your relationship, or if you're not in a relationship, for you to build your knowledge base so when you do enter your relationship, you're moving in in a different kind of way. There are four phases of love, and I want you to understand this. Four phases of love. The first phase is the limerence. This is where there's a state of mind which results from a romantic attraction to another person and typically typically includes obsessive thoughts and fantasies and a desire to form or retain a relationship with the object of love and have one's feelings reciprocated. But limerence produces oxytocin, which is known as the love hormone. Oxytocin influences our social behavior, our emotion, our sociability, and can lead to bad judgment. This is the stuff the movies is made of. And number two, the second phase is trust. This is where internally you ask the question, are you there for me? Trust is a manner of having your partner's needs at heart rather than expectations of serving your needs. And in order to do that, you have to be reliable. Do what you say you will do and when you say you're going to do it. Be open to feedback. A willingness to give and receive feedback and share information includes your feelings. Got to share your feelings and your concerns, your beliefs, and your needs. <laughs> and then we're looking at your radical acceptance and non-judgment. Accept them even when you don't agree with their behavior. Number four, be congruent. Walk your walk, talk your talk, and practice what you preach. Let me say that again. Walk your walk, talk your talk, and practice what you preach. Third phase is commitment and loyalty. You have to explore the purpose of your life together and sacrificing for the relationship. 
when you get into the negative comparisons, it begins to cascade the relationship downward. Fourth phase, safety and connectedness. Your partner is your haven when things frighten you, upset you, or threaten you. You have the feelings you're in tune with the other person. You have common ground to feel comfortable, yet enough differences to keep things interesting. I always say the best partnerships are those that you have more similarities than differences, but enough differences to make the other one relevant. I was trained years ago by Dr. John Gottman. He's wrote lots of books on couples and love and was part of a love lab experiment where they can tell over time of watching couples that were in this love lab and how they fought and how they did disconnection, how they did conflict, that it would predict the end of their relationship. And those were called, as a result, the four horses of the apocalypse. Apocalypse. The four horses of the apocalypse. And these are the predictors of divorce. You have the first one, criticism. This is the versus gentle startup, as in using I statements. Number two is defensiveness versus responding with empathy and no sarcasm. Number three is contempt. Calling your partner names like a jerk or an idiot. Giving an an air of superiority. Contempt weakens the immune system of the recipient, leading to physical and emotional ailments. Four, stonewalling. Caused by overwhelming emotions. One partner cannot process everything they are feeling and short-circuit the conversation to calm down and regain control. Think about this. Listen again. And not necessarily focus on your partner, but focus on you. Criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. The four horses of the apocalypse. So what works? If a man says something in the forest and no woman is there, is he still wrong? (laughs) But what works? A couple of things. You have to learn to manage conflict. It's not about resolution, but it's about choices. You can change it, fix it, accept it, or stay miserable. It's all you have. Let me say it again. You either can change it, fix it, accept it, or stay miserable. (laughs) But we have to stop focusing just on conflict. Also focus on your friendship and your relationship. You want to create shared meaning and purpose for your coupleship. Why are you together? Are you together just to be together? Are you together just because you're used to being together? Who wants to live like that? Get into a place where you create shared meaning and purpose for your coupleship. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. 
instead of jumping to emotional conclusions. Number five, discover empathy. The good old E word, empathy. Six, commit to true commitment. There are many couples, married 20, 30, five years, that are just committed to being committed. But when you look into what's really going on in their relationship, miserable. But turn towards east, e, turn toward each other instead of away. When you have a fight or conflict, do you go running for the hills? You have to learn to turn toward each other. Number eight, share fondness towards each other. Number nine, build love maps of favorites, beliefs, and feelings. Ask each other the following. A couple of things. Write these down or replay these back. Name two of my closest friends. What was I wearing when we first met? Name one of my hobbies. What stresses am I facing right now? Describe in detail what I did today or yesterday. What is my fondest unrealized dream? What is one of my greatest fears of or disaster scenarios? What is my favorite way to spend an evening? What is one of my favorite ways to be soothed? What is my favorite getaway place? What are some of the important events coming up in my life? How do I feel about them? What are some of my favorite ways to work out? Name one of my major rivals or enemies. What would I consider my ideal job? What medical problems do I worry about? What was my most embarrassing moment? Name one of my favorite novels or movies. What is my favorite restaurant? Just some questions to help you build love maps of your favorites, beliefs, and feelings. The deep stuff. Intimacy stuff in your relationship. It's amazing how many couples can't answer those questions about their relationship. So I want to share with you the eight stages of intimacy. Many people hear intimacy, and again, most of the time people's mind goes to a physical intimacy. It's an obvious one, but there are so many different intimacies, and I want you to know all eight of them, the eight stages of intimacy. Well, number one, we do have the physical intimacy. We have the looks, the etiquette, the charisma, something you like about the person. We have the aesthetic intimacy, the arts, the style, the culture, general compatibility, having common interest. We have recreational intimacy, shared interests, sports and hobbies, games and recreation, love. You love spending time together and doing activities together. 
You don't get upset if your partner spends time with that when you're pursuing their own interest. Yeah, four, intellectual intimacy. Hopes, fears, opinions, beliefs are shared and discussed. Five, spiritual intimacy. Morality, ethics, and shared goals. Emotional intimacy. Feelings, trust, security, and safety. Who do you call first? Sexual intimacy. Touching, romance, intercourse, procreation, the right to accept or decline without fear of ridicule, rape or coercion, or withholding sex as a tool of manipulation. Number eight is unconditional love. Love and support without strings attached. Expectations or regrets, no matter what someone does, says or is. You love them fully and without reservation or expecting anything in return. The eight stages of intimacy. Physical intimacy, aesthetic intimacy, recreational intimacy, intellectual intimacy, spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, sexual intimacy, and unconditional love. So let me recap before we go to a quick break. I share with you what intimacy is, what can block intimacy, techniques for deepening intimacy, the four phases of love, the four horses of the apocalypse. I share with you what works around conflict, things that you can do to build your love maps for each other in your relationship, and the eight stages of intimacy. So I gave you lots and lots of things to write down, to note, to consider, and some practical tips that you can start today to build healthy intimacy in your coupleship. And if you're not in a coupleship yet, you are building your knowledge base and ready to implement when you meet the one who you will be building a future and a life with. So I'll be right back after this quick break on Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Are you living day by day, nervous, in fear, or constantly feeling overwhelmed? This is probably due to an anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders can develop from many different factors and can affect each and every person differently. Anxiety disorders can develop because of genetics, personality, stressful life events, and many other reasons. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports that more than 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety-related illnesses and anxiety is also considered the most common mental disorder in the United States. You don't have to suffer alone. Call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit lifecounselingsolutions.com today. Has your anger ever taken you somewhere you regret it? Have you ever said something in anger that you wish you could take back? Have you ever hurt anyone as a reaction of your anger, physically or emotionally? Let's face it, anger is a part of life. We all experience anger in our lives at some point. The question we need to ask ourselves is whether this has become a habit. What matters is how we deal with it. 
So call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit OrlandoAngerManagement.com today. You are listening to Let's Talk About It with Dr. Janie Lacey. To reach the show today, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Janie at lifecounselingsolutions.com. Now back to Let's Talk About It. Welcome back. So let's talk about it with Janie Lacey. Today we're talking about healthy intimacy in relationships. As we continue this journey together, I want to share with you Thanos. If any of you have been into couples therapy or have done couples work, you may have heard the good old Thanos because Thanos is a simple step process to check in with each other. Many couples don't check in with each other. They do the routine, they'll see each other, how was your day, talk about the kids, talk about things that needs to be done. It's kind of like a checklist, but this is not the type of check-in I'm talking about. This is meant to be completed daily and also most importantly, briefly. 10 minutes or less when I say briefly. With no feedback or comments given from the person who is meant to be the listener. And when you want to discuss things farther, and that's what's desired, you can do so. But after both parties have presented their check-in, I'm going to go through all the different areas of check-in. And this exercise for you and your coupleship, it involves both parties sharing. The couple should decide in advance on a regular time for this. For some people, they call it their board meeting, their relationship board meeting. So they can say, let's every Thursday night after dinner. We have dinner from six to seven and then from seven to eight, or we'll take a break. And then from eight to nine, we're going to do our board meeting. But this is what outlines that you want to consider for a check-in process to go well. And that's why it's called Thanos, Thanos, F-A-N-O-S. So first, the F is for feelings. What are you feeling emotionally right now? And I want you to focus on primarily feelings instead of secondary feelings. And then the A is affirmation. When to share something specific you appreciate that your partner did since the last check-in. And then the N is need. What are your current needs? And O is for ownership. Admit something that you did since the last check-in that was not helpful in your relationship. And S is sobriety. State if you have or have not maintained sobriety since the last check-in. The definition of sobriety should be discussed in advance and based on 
You know, it's what we would consider if you're in recovery of addiction, something that we use in our community. I am a CSAT certified sex addiction therapist. So we use something that's called the inner circle or the three circle exercise. And another S can be spirituality. If you don't, not, or you're not focusing on um, sobriety, it could be spirituality. You can share something you're working on since you last checked in that is related to furthering your spirituality. And that Thanos model, I want to give proper credit where credit is due, that um, we use in some of our couples' work was a, a model that was presented by Mark Laser. He has since uh, passed away, but someone who has um, who I've taken training for in the past, and him and his wife Deb Laser write a lot of books around recovery, around sex addiction and betrayal trauma. Mark Laser is no longer with us, but his wife is, and there's lots of work that's his his work that's left behind. Um, if you want to read further from his his work, Mark Laser. So let's look at acceptance. When we consider acceptance, according to Dr. Linda Miles in her book, Friendship on Fire. She looks at passionate, well, her name of the book is Friendship on Fire, Passionate and Intimate Connections for Life. But in there, she looks at one of her quotes from her book, is the ability to let go and accept life, which will unfold over time. But as you become open and less judgmental of yourself and others, new challenges will become less daunting and you will operate more from love and less from fear. Acceptance of what happened in your past or acceptance of another person, the way they are, does not mean you like what happened to you or, or you like those traits. It simply means you accept your life now for what it is. You remembered or remember the past, but you don't live there anymore. And you focus on the present while not worrying about your future either. Some questions that you can ask yourself. Do you accept your partner's flaws? This is something you have to ask yourself. No one else can answer these for you. Do you accept your partner's flaws? Does your partner accept your flaws? Are you each willing to protect the vulnerability of your partnership? And as a couple, I would want you to discuss how you can create a safe and loving environment despite each of you having these faults without being critical of each other. And that means you refrain from name calling and finding fault. Instead, give your partner the benefit of the doubt. It's amazing just the little tweaks like giving each other the benefit of the doubt can go a long way in creating acceptance in your relationship. I want to share with you a little bit about my wheelhouse and one of my wheelhouses, especially when it comes to couples, is working in the area of sex addiction. So I'm going to explain a little bit to you about sex addiction because we hear this all the time or we may or you may hear this all the time, just the different um, myths or thoughts around 
sex addiction that just aren't true and are just not helpful, especially to those that are actually seeking um, recovery or working towards their recovery in sex addiction. The chemical involved in particular, and the chemicals involved in particular in chemical addiction, such as dopamine and serotonin, are also involved in sex addiction. Taken, for example, let's say a girl is walking on the beach. And you see her and you have these mood altering event. It's what we would call a mood altering event. And that mood altering event, these good feelings, which results in that release of pleasurable brain chemicals or what we would call neurotransmitters. You're in some degree of sexual stimulation. This is nothing new or pathological. Addiction on a psychological level begins when we become attached to the feeling associated with our sexual practices and creates a primary relationship with them. It creates that primary relationship and the sex becomes more important than the person that you actually have sex with. The addiction develops when our feelings associated with the activity become our main source of comfort. The feelings from sexual behaviors are meditated by neurotransmitters, as are our feelings as are all feelings, I should say. The addict begins to confuse these feelings with love and life and loses other ways of relieving loneliness and boredom or feeling good. If someone becomes too attracted to these feelings and sensations, they begin to confuse excitement with intimacy. They begin to believe that sexual excitement, which brings on these feelings, are the source of love and joy, which they cannot live without. The brain gets used to functioning on these higher levels of neurotransmitters, constantly requiring more stimulation, novelty, and danger, or excitement. That body, however, cannot sustain such intensity. And it begins to shut down parts of the brain that receive these chemicals. Tolerance develop, develops and sex addiction begins to need more and more sexual excitement to get back to the feeling of joy and happiness. So if you're a couple and you struggled with sex addiction, or there is someone in your relationship, a part of the coupleship that is in recovery from sex addiction, this is not an easy question to answer. Depending where you are in your recovery as a couple and individually, sex could be the furthest thing from your mind 
or you might be very keen to reclaim your sex life as a couple. The way that you feel about sex will depend on how your sex life was before the discovery of sex addiction or porn addiction in a relationship. If sex had always been a positive experience, then it would be easier to reclaim it. But if sex had been experienced negatively, then it may be a longer journey to rebuild that sexual confidence and intimacy. But before deciding when to start having sex again, the first stage, there should be no surprise here. The very, very first stage is you got to talk about it. Got to talk about it. Talking about sex. Let's talk about that for a minute on Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Let's be honest. Many couples can find it difficult talking about sex at the best of times. Let alone if you are a couple recovering from the discovery of sex addiction or porn addiction in your relationship. There's a lot of fear going on for the couple, for you. Let me talk to you about some common fears. Common fears is feeling inadequate. Partners can worry about living up to porn stars or or people the addicted partner was acting out with. The addicted partner may feel inadequate to prove that that's not the case. Both of you are feeling distracted. The addicted partner can have intrusive thoughts and images of past acting out behaviors. And the partner is worrying what their addicted partner may be thinking about. Couples have to work together to develop verbal and nonverbal ways of letting each other know they are fully present in the moment. There's fearing sex will hinder addiction recovery. Many couples believe that if we start having sex again, will this hinder the recovery process? Partners often worry that having sex will ignite the sex addict's libido and they'll be more likely to act out. Conversely, some worry that not having sex could also trigger acting out and hence initiate sex when they don't really want to. For some addicted partners, having sex or not having sex can indeed increase cravings. And as well as developing strategies to to manage this, they also need to reassure their partner that they're using their strategies or techniques. That's a way that Couples feel reassured when they see each other doing the things that they said they're going to do and using the tools and techniques and strategies that they learned in their recovery or therapy process. Because that first step in overcoming these fears is to be honest with yourself and with each other. So you can work together to overcome them. It is helpful to put time aside to agree what you want from a sexual relationship and agree a goal that you both want to aim for. This can take time, so be patient. Take time to be patient. But knowing you are both working together 
with a common goal can provide the necessary motivation and momentum needed. But listen to this. Really listen closely. It is common for couples recovering from the discovery of sex addiction to experience sexual problems, such as difficult reaching orgasm, maintaining an erection, premature ejaculation, or having mismatched sexual desire. This can be very distressing for couples, and I suggest seeking help with an accredited sex therapist who is also trained in sex addiction to talk through the fears as well as any physical problems. So how do we just develop or how do we develop sexual intimacy? Sexual intimacy, sexual intimacy results from developing and deepening other areas of intimacy first. Listen to this again. When you have sex, it's important to know that you're ready. Ready emotionally, relationally, and physically. Having sex is going to feel risky at first. And to minimize those risks, it makes sense to ensure your core conditions are right. Your core conditions are likely to include a couple things. Your emotional needs. Choosing a time when you're feeling in a good enough emotional space. Your relationship needs, if there are unresolved problems bubbling under the surface, you are not going to be in the right frame of mind for sex. Talk through these problems and commit equally to fixing them. You both also need to feel comfortable with your physical appearance and that you won't be judged for how you look or perform sexually. Your physical needs. There's a common myth that sex should always be spontaneous, but planning can build erotic anticipation, allow time for any fears to be talked about, as well as organizing You won't be disturbed or overheard. (laughs) How many times couples worry about the kids overhearing them or someone overhearing them? You You also need to feel safe that at any time while having sex, you can say no. Your partner may feel disappointed, but they can be understanding and gracious about it. Having a conversation beforehand can help avoid awkwardness, guilt, and resentment. There are many hurdles for couples recovering from sexual intimacy with each other. But if you both remain committed to your individual recovery and continue to deepen other areas of intimacy, then sexual fulfillment can be found again. Indeed, it can be better than ever. Let me talk to you a little bit about healthy sex versus sex addiction. Healthy sex versus sex addiction. Healthy sex leads to feelings of well-being, while addictive sex leads to guilt and shame. Healthy sex is sensational, is sensation, 
is sensual, with real intimacy in the present moment. While sex addictive or sex addicted sex is intensity rooted in independent fantasy. Healthy sex is inspired, intuitive, and passionate, while addictive sex is empathy, is empty, and more about chasing the orgasm and satisfying a need. Healthy sex is nurturing of both physical and emotional connection, while addictive sex is about getting high, numbing out, and escaping fantasy and satisfying a need. Healthy sex is loving yourself and your partner while addictive sex lacks emotional investment, vulnerability, and intimacy. Healthy sex is respecting and honoring healthy sexual boundaries, boundaries, while addictive sex is boundaryless and offensive. Healthy sex is moderate and feels safe for both partners, while addictive sex is about intensity and requires escalation to achieve arousal. Healthy sex is being curious and caring about your partner, while addictive, self, addictive sex is about intensity and requires escalation to achieve arousal. Healthy sex is being curious and caring about your partner, while addictive sex is selfish and self-seeking, often leaving the partner feeling used. Healthy sex is learning to trust, being vulnerable, accepting anxiety and awkwardness are okay and risking being known. While addictive sex is avoidant of emotional intimacy about power and control and disembodied, compartmentalizing, not feeling in your body. So I shared with you a couple of things. I want to recap as we close out this episode. Because no matter where you are in your relationship, whether it's five years, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years, the effort that you put into the relationship that you choose to be in can make life so much greater. We came back from our break, our second half. We talked about the Thanos, simple five-step check-in process, which I'm a big believer You want to have that board meeting with your spouse and check in those feelings, that affirmation, the need, the ownership, sobriety, or spirituality. You want to make that a part of your relationship. If you want to learn more about Thanos, check out Mark Lacer's work. Learn how to accept each other, but you can't do that until you first do that independent reflection. Look at your own flaws, flaws of your partner. Do you accept each other? Are you willing to protect that vulnerability in your relationship? I share with you a little bit about sex addiction. And I talk to you about what do you do to start having sex again if you're a recovery from sex addiction? And how do you start talking about sex? By sharing with you some of the common fears. You have to understand what those common fears because those are going to be the hindrances to talking about sex, to feeling inadequacy. Both of you feeling distracted, feeling sex will hinder the recovery process. Talk about it. That first step is overcoming those fears. So you can be honest with yourself and with each other so you can work together to overcome them. And then gave you some things about developing sexual intimacy 
sexual intimacy does result from developing and deepening those other areas of intimacy first. And I can't stress that. So when you're, when you have sex, it's important to know that you are ready, ready emotionally, relationally, and physically. Knowing your emotional needs, your relational needs, your physical needs. And then I share with you, I share with you 10 areas of the differences between healthy sex versus sex addiction. You know, many people, their first introduction of sex was either through pornography or um, some dysfunctional, distorted sense of what sex was. How did you first learn about sex? How did you first learn about emotional, spiritual, mental intimacy with your partner? Well, today's a new day and I invite you to learn about healthy intimacy so you can choose because life is about choices. You can choose to create, not only create, but co-create a healthy relationship in your partnership. Because remember, life is all about choices, all about choices. And I want you to choose to be in a place of healthy intimacy and choose not to stay in a place of misery, miserableness, but invite your partner to co-create something wonderful. Because remember, you're either going to change it, fix it, accept it, or stay miserable. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Thank you for tuning in. Let's Talk About It can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Janie Lacey, for another edition of the show next week. 